All right, before I get to my next guest, Mr. Ben Wright, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Finn for a course that has them near you. I also want to give another shout-out to our friends over at the McLemore. The McLemore Mountaintop Community rests atop the highlands of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, overlooking historic McLemore Cove and Pigeon Mountain. Surrounded on all sides by state and national parks, historic land districts, and private land trusts. The resort features an 18-hole Reese Jones and Bill Bergen Championship course, a gated residential community, and a planned clubhouse opening in the fall of 2020, plus planned hotel and conference center. The dramatic 18-hole course is made up of a variety of golf experiences, combining canyon holes, highland holes, cliff edge holes that are well-suited for the beginning golfer as well as the senior player. McLemore also offers a wonderful six-hole short course called the Karen. Designed by Bill Bergen, the Karen provides players with a short warm-up or cool-down before or after a round, or a relaxing way to improve one's game with family and friends. McLemore is located a short driving distance from Atlanta, Nashville, Knoxville, Birmingham, and Huntsville, and just 35 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, voted number one best town in America two years in a row by Outside Magazine. While a private course, McLemore offers stay-and-play packages for guests in club-managed properties, as well as a number of membership opportunities, including social memberships, non-resident memberships, and corporate memberships as well. For more information, please visit McLemore online at themclemore.com or give them a call at 800-329-8154. All right, now back with me here on Next on the T, and I'm, and I'm both honored and amazed to say this, but making his 17th appearance with me is one of my all-time favorite guests, and that's Mr. Ben Wright. It's always an honor for me to have Mr. Wright as part of the show. In my mind, he's the best broadcaster that uh, golf has ever had. Uh, no one before or since has painted the, the pictures the way that he did and helped us uh, witness and appreciate the game of golf the way he did. I mean, you, you go back and you, you listen to his calls, right? You go back to 75, that'll be evil music ringing in Nicholas's ear was his call when Tom Weiskopf birdied to take the lead on the 15th hole in the 75 Masters. Legendary. And I always like to make sure everyone remembers this, particularly this week, that it was Ben Wright who used the phrase, yes, sir, to put an exclamation point on Jack Nicklaus's ego putt on the 15th hole during the final round of the 86 Masters. And that came 20 minutes before Vern Lundquist used that phrase again when uh, Mr. Nicklaus made the birdie putt on 17. Uh, Mr. Wright has left his legacy all over the history of the Masters tournament and golf history for the nearly three decades that he broadcasted the game. And I am so honored that I get to say he is back with me here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Mr. Red. How are you? My word, I fold over again, Chris. You just, you just give me the, such a fulsome introduction. I almost feel a dolly for the night. <laughs> I'm, I'm fantastically well. Thank you. Uh, for my age, you know, but um, I'm really working out very hard and uh, keeping myself in remarkable shape. Uh, actually, probably better than I have been uh, for a couple of decades, maybe. But anyhow, 
I'm looking forward to enormously to this Masters because um, obviously there's a huge amount of fuss about Bryson DeChambeau. And rightly so. I mean, the man is, uh, he, they may call him the mad scientist, but there's method in his madness. And um, I've got to applaud him for what he's trying to do. But I think a lot of people have forgotten that I, I think he missed 26 fairways when he put in that uh, phenomenal open victory. But, you know, you can't doubt it out of the tree like you can out of the wingfoot rock. So if he goes astray, then um, we may have a, a bunch of DeChambeau playing outside. Um, but, uh, you know, give him his due. He's trying to just take it by the scruff of the neck and, and destroy Augusta National. And, you know, he's every right to. I just wish he would play a bit more quickly. But, of course, if you're a mad scientist, you're going you're gonna to take your time, I suppose. Um, I, I really look beyond him for the winner um, this week. And I think we might get a surprise packet. And, uh, you know, I have a, a sort of sneaking feeling from a gentleman from England who I've never met because he's so darn young, and that is Cyril Hatton. I, I really? Think that, uh, yes, yes, yes. I've had a little wager on him at a very accommodating price. Um, it's, it's an each way bet. And, um, you know, I think uh, he has a serious shot at it. He's playing absolutely magnificently for quite a while now. Um, but, you know, we, we, the Euros are not winning like they used to for a while. And uh, it'll be a surprise, well, obviously, to most people. But um, I, I'm prepared for it. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's talk about that, because that's one of the things I was talking uh, to Tom Patrick earlier in the show about. Because as, as we look at the forecast, and right, we've been talking about that a lot tonight on the show, and it, it looks like it's going to be cloudy and rainy, uh, particularly the next couple of days, obviously tomorrow just being a practice round. But Thursday looks like rain. Friday, they're talking about rain in the morning, but it's going to be overcast. And then Saturday, Sunday, also a chance of rain. I got to imagine that in those kinds of conditions, that might give a little bit of a uh, a step up for some of the European players being used to playing in the damp conditions that maybe our players aren't uh, quite as adept at. Yes, yes, I think uh, I was taking that into account. You know, I know the forecast because we get um, where I am, Flat Rock, North Carolina, we get Atlanta's weather. But, I mean, we've, we've got a bad forecast uh, until Monday, really. Um, and uh, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see a mudder 
N-U-D-D-E-R from Europe, uh, pull this one off. To that end, I think, uh, you know, you're, you're surprised with the Terrell Hatton, though he, he won not all that long ago. Uh, back in October, he won over on the European Tour by four strokes, by the way. Uh, so certainly his game looks like it's rounding into form for sure. But I think we've all been sort of waiting for Rory McIlroy to take this tournament, you know, by the horns and, and get the uh, career grand slam. What's your expectations from Rory? You know something, Chris, I don't have any anymore because he disappoints me on a perennial basis. Uh, you know, and you know, he talks a good game, but um, he's not backing it up of late. And I, I don't know what's the matter with him. He, I, I, you know, um, he doesn't talk well enough for me. And uh, they're going to have the green pretty fair shape because of their ability to dry them out and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I don't have any expectations of Rory, much as I love him. But, of course, when you don't have any expectations expectations of him, he's more likely to win, really, I think. You know, if he, if he could only get under the radar, that is so unlikely that, uh, you know, I... I'm prepared for him to disappoint me again. But I'm hoping for the best, obviously, because I'd love him see the exclusive, uh, see him in the exclusive club of, uh, well, there are five at the moment who won all four majors. I'd love, I'd love that to happen because he's a tremendous kid and I've, I've known him since he was a boy and I really, I love to see him do it, but I, I don't expect, Chris, don't expect. You know, there's, I think there's a great thing about Augusta National. It can make you, but it can destroy you. And I, I only got to think about Jordan Speed and uh, Franco Molinari. You know, they, they have had absolutely gone into the tank since they blew the masses, you know, uh, with Spieth uh, putting two in the water at 12 and Molinari putting it in the water at 12 and 50. And, uh, you know, I think that might be something that McElroy may never uh, join that Exclusive club, uh, but I, you know, it, it is a cruel place. I mean, it can be it can be a wonderful place, but it can be brutally cruel. And I go back a long time with Sneed, who came by my town when he had a three-stroke lead uh, going out of fifteen, which is my place, and bogey the last three holes when I was driving up to the uh, compound to watch him bogey 18 as he had bogeyed 16 and 17. Now, with respect to Edgar, as I used to call him, 
uh, he hasn't been heard of since. And, um, you know, Augusta National, it, it raises your hope to such a degree and then dashes them. And uh, I think, you know, Bobby Jones used to say that what championships are lost and won. And I thought those were very uh, keen words. I, I I very much appreciate what that 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 sentiment did. But uh, you know, I'm I'm a sentimental old devil, and I would love to see uh, Spieth and Molinari come good again. Uh, if it, even if it is this year, in the future, I I. Speed is too darn good a player to be languishing, or you know, 181st or wherever he is in uh, in the world order now. Just too good a player. But I believe, you know, there is uh, paralysis by analysis, and uh, I think probably Speed is a victim of that syndrome. Mr. Wright, I want to kind of continue to pick your brain about memories. And, and you, you mentioned uh, how how cruel Augusta National can be. And we've talked in the past about you know Tom Weisskopf and what happened in 75 and losing to Nicholas like that and really crushing him. Um, but I also want to talk about 78 because I was kind of going back and, and reviewing some of the masters from the, from the 70s and 78s when uh, Gary Player, one of your good friends, uh, you know, got his third Masters jacket that year. Um, but I, you also got to remember that Hubert Green had what a three footer on eighteen to tie him and yes. go into a playoff. And and uh, yes. back you know, I, as I'm watching the, the the broadcast, I mean, he gets over that putt and seems to sit there for a while, and then someone makes a noise and he backs off and goes back in there and then and then misses that putt. Um yes. gotta be pretty cruel yeah, to be Hubert know, Green there. Yes, it was cruel to Hubert Green. It was a hell of a player. And um, uh, you, you will remember that he won the uh, open at Southern Hills Tulsa when he'd been told he might be shot at <laughs> you know um and he elected to play. Um, it, it is a very cruel event. And, I mean, we've only just talked about uh, a few of those. I mean, Weisskopf, you know, he was too good a player to be second four times. But, of course, Tom was his own worst enemy. He was, he was in his day, uh, a true crazy. And, and um, you know, I love the man dearly because we were great friends, and I had the highest admiration of his ability, but he was his own worst enemy. He really didn't give it his full attention. And uh, there we are, you know. He only won one major, and he should have won at least half a dozen, in my opinion. Mr. Ed, I want to get your memories of that 75 Masters because as I was listening to the broadcast, Vince Gully, 
was broadcasting the Masters you know, with you that year, Pat Summerall, Ken Venture, yourself uh, in 75. And, and um, I, I wanted to kind of get your memories of what it was like being a part of the team along with a guy like Mr. Scully. Oh, you know, that that 75 Masters, Chris, is probably um, overlooked. It was just as great as 1986, really, in my opinion, except it was a downbeat finish in that Nicholas was in and Weisskopf and Johnny Miller had a chance to tie him and they failed to do so. So it didn't have the uh, incredible impact of Nicholas's incredible inward half of 30, including a boat in 1986. But to me, 1975 had all the ingredients of a, one of the great events of my life, in, quite, quite frankly. and. Uh, I never will forget my exchange with Henry Longhurst on 16 and me on 15 with Weisskopf and Nicholas. That was magical and a magical experience for me uh, to be in that kind of a situation. Uh, you know, I only dreamed of that. And uh, to be in that situation was truly something that I'll never forget until I die. One of the other things about that 75 event, and, and we learned this week that Lee Elder is going to join Jack Nicholas and Gary Player as a, an honorary tee, uh, for that honorary tee shot uh, in April. So when we, when we convene again, he will be there on that ceremonial tee. But that was his first Masters. That was breaking the color barrier, if you will, uh, in in Masters history, what do you remember about that piece of that tournament? Well, you know, uh, I called Lee Elder the leading black golfer during that 1975 tournament, and I was called over cold by the gentleman in Greco uh, who said that they would rather me say that he was the leading golfer of his race, which I thought was very strange. But I think the fact that Fred Ridley has invited him to be the honorary starter along with Nicholas and Player in April is a phenomenal move in the correct direction. And uh, I applaud Mr. Ridley un un unashamedly but from the bottom of my heart, because I think, you know, uh, and I'm hoping, I've, I've got to say this, Chris, I'm hoping that Harold Varner III will win a tournament very soon, because here is a guy who's really putting in his time, and uh, we need, we need more black golfers for them best golfers of their race. Um, we need it. I mean, there's no question about it. I thought Tiger Woods would open the floodgate, but that he has not done so at all. And uh, 
The game is all for a four. I think in the end. Mr. Wright, I want to talk about um, your relationship with, with Seve Ballesteros. And you got to see him at his highs and you got to see him at his lows. I mean, winning the Masters in 80 and 83 on top of, you know, his Open Championships, amazing. Um, you also, and you've talked about this on the show in the past, had some struggles with him over, you know, his collapse on the back nine in 86. Talk about, you know, being a witness to a friend of yours with Mr. Ballesteros and a friend of yours and Gary Player, seeing them at their peak and then seeing them also uh, during their struggle. Yes. Um, they, you know, they're very difficult, uh, very different people. Um, Debbie was extremely volatile and not always friendly, but I loved him for the, the sheer beauty of what he could accomplish when he was at his best. And Gary Player, I just, I admire him for, till the end of time because he just wouldn't take no for an answer. And when I first met him, he had no bloody idea how to play the game. I mean, like Mr. Hogan before him, he had a series of duck hooks until he finally sorted himself out, as did Mr. Hogan. And, uh, you know, for sheer determination, and possibly not even um, as great a talent as some of his rivals, but Gary did it through sheer determination. And uh, I love the fact, you know, you talk about him having bleeding hands from practicing. Well, he made himself. Chevy was Matt, but Gary was a made player, and he did it by the sheer force of his will and courage. And when he won his third Masters in 78, he did it by shooting a, a then-course record 64 in the final round, becoming the oldest champion at that time. He was 43. And oh, by the way, yeah. a 21-year-old Seve Ballesteros was his playing partner that day, and I believe Mr. Player was his idol, and he got to witness that sort of thing. Talk about you know getting to see Mr. Player at 43 years old shoot a 64 and come through and win a third master. Well, you know, Chris, I would say that um, outside America, Gary. Uh, has been uh, the only person who really espoused athleticism and be, becoming a true act. I mean, in my early days, there were a lot of beer bellies out there and guys who would drink away the night and uh, chase wenches through the night as well. But Gary, Gary uh, personifies a man who was determined to be the fittest man out there and was for decades. And uh, I think, you know, he set a fashion 
for the young men of today who are real athletes. And uh, I think, you know, Gary, he's really one of the all-time greats. I don't have any doubt about that. And, you know, he didn't even have stature of any kind. I mean, I, I suppose reading wit, he's never been taller than five eight. You know, and uh, I, I, I can't tell you how much I admire what Gary Player has accomplished, traveling millions and millions of miles uh, on aircraft, and uh, you know, with all the respective jet lag and everything. I think, really, if anything, Gary is underrated. Mr. Wright, I want to get your memories as well about Mr. Palmer. When we think about Masters Week and want to think about one of the greatest champions in Masters history, of course, we think of Mr. Palmer. Won four times, and four times from 1958 to 1964. Uh, But then he, he sort of disappeared. We never saw him win another major after 1964. What happened with Mr. Palmer, do you think, that um, certainly one of the, the, maybe the game's greatest ambassador ever, but such a brief history for winning majors in that time? Well, I think, you know, uh, Nicholas destroyed him. I I think that uh, if Arnold would, I think he would tell him, put him away. Um, there was no question about that. Um, uh, but I was very surprised that he didn't win. I was with him when he won the Spanish Open in 1973 at La Manga, Campo de Golf in southern Spain. And he was, he was over the moon because the last hole was a par five and he birded it to win the event. And it was like he'd won the world championship. Uh, He was so thrilled and delighted and I think more than a little relief, you know. Um, We'd we'd written him off by that time. I never wrote him off because he was the greatest gentleman who ever played the game. Like, like Bobby Jones. I mean, Bobby Jones and Arnold Palmer were two of the greatest guys who ever played the game, as far as I'm concerned, in the, their incredible gentlemanly behavior. Mr. Wright, looking back over the Masters that uh, that you broadcast and got to be a part of, I'm curious, was, was there ever a time when a, a, a player was coming into where you were covering most of the time at 15, that you saw them take out a, an iron or hit a shot, and you're like, I cannot believe this guy's about to hit this shot. <laughs> um, you know, uh, there were so many dramatic things happened at 15 in those days. Because, as I used to say, um, the heart would stop pumping at the top of the hill when the player decided whether or not to go for the green. Because it looks a very shallow 
sliver from up there. But those were the days when they were hitting a long shot into 15. But of course, John Daly hit nine on, and that was all over. And really, it's become a, uh, a dangerous par four, really, now, in my opinion. You know, it's a shame, but um, that really broaches the subject about they've got to have a bifurcation and get the pros playing a ball that doesn't go so far because it's made a mockery of 50. And um, I, I find that utterly tragic because it's one of the great golf holes in the world. And uh, it's now become, and of course, if, if most of December gets a decent drive, it, it probably be eating sandwich. I mean, it's absolutely absurd. The opposite side of that question is when you've been broadcasting, and I know, you know like I say, how many great friends you had out there playing on tour. Was, it, was there ever a, a time when it was hard for you to kind of contain your personal thoughts and your personal excitement for what, what was going on and somebody was achieving and uh, kind of unfolding right there in front of you to kind of contain it and try to be as, you know, non-partial as you, as you had to be? Yeah, you, you know, I never had any problem with that, Chris. I really had no favor. Um, I, I really, I can honestly say that. I just uh, called it as a story. Um, there was never any feeling of, uh, you know, wanting anybody particular to win. I must say, I would have liked Ed Sneed to win because he was a good friend and a fabulous traveling companion um, when he worked for ABC. Uh, and I used to see him a lot in, in England and Scotland and so on. But, you know, um, I, I never really played favorite. Um, uh, of course, people like Pat Tommel, my dear friend Pat Tommel, would say that I was totally in favor of Sevy Ballesteros. But no, I mean, no, Sevy won. His two masters, and he lost 1986 to Nicholas, and so be it. You know that's the way it, it transpired. But I, I never was rooting for any particular player other than me. I do admit that. So that begs the question: of the masters that you got to be a part of, which are your favorites? Well. Um, had to be my favorite because of what Nicholas accomplished. But I, I, you know, as I said earlier, I thought 75 was just as good because, you know, Weisskopf and Johnny Miller were obviously pretenders to Jack Nicholas's pro. And uh, to have them all finished within a stroke was truly a remarkable event. Um, 
There were many more wonderful masters. I mean, Ray Floyd in Because of how far he can hit it? Well, I think, uh, I mean, the ball is just the only way they can address the situation. They're not going to be able to, they're not going to, can't change the club because they'll have a a million lawsuits. But um, they could use one ball for the pros and one for the amateurs. And let the amateurs. Hit it a million miles because they're not doing it for a living; they're just having fun. And but it is, I think, quite ridiculous. And I, I don't blame the chamber. I blame the governing bodies for being so slow to have done anything about it. They're being slow about it, and I think they're they're really to blame for the whole situation. Mr. Wright, one more before I let you go. And I have to imagine over the course of your brilliant career, there have been a lot of times when somebody has pulled you aside to say how much your call or your broadcast or your personality or your being there has made a difference in their lives. Because I know it's made a difference in mine. So I I was curious, what moments, looking back on your career, have really touched you? Oh, there have been so many, Chris. Um, You know, the fact that you want to hear from me when I'm 88 years old is something that I find incredibly touching. 
And I, I get correspondence from all sides, you know, to this very day. I wrote a piece recently for the Gulf Heritage Society magazine on my friendship with Mr. Ben Hogan, and I can't tell you how much correspondence I've had uh, since that article appeared. And, you know, and it was something, it was a throwaway piece I did in a couple of hours. But I mean, it, it's incredible. Um, people do remember. And I'm very touched and extremely fortunate to be uh, so well regarded at this ridiculous age. <laughs> Mr. Wright, before I let you go, remind our listeners about your golf course, Cliff Valley, up there in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. Yeah, a nice little golf course. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Listen, Chris, I I designed it to be user-friendly, and the beautiful thing is that it is so user-friendly that it is easily the most popular of all the seven courses. Purely and simple. Because it's fun and not too demanding. But I've got to say in my favor that the the pros on the BMW tour, you know, that that uh, or Clawcon or whatever it's called, I can't remember the name. They change the name so often but Players who have played my course in the BMW tournament uh, last year told me that, that they rated it the best golf course on their tour. Wow. So uh, I, re- I rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, Mr. Wright, it is always a huge privilege for me to get to spend this time with you. I can't thank you enough for being generous with your time tonight and all the other times you have been a part of the show. Uh, it's something that I look forward to every single time when uh, you're gracious enough to tell me you'll come on. Uh, that becomes the most anticipated show of, uh, of that time period. So, uh, and tonight is no different. I can't thank you enough for being here and uh, all the wonderful stories that you have shared tonight and over the years. Uh, you're a, uh, a national treasure. Well, if you want me, I'm always here. <laughs> Chris, well, and, you'd be and I'll never stop you'd wanting be you. Welcome. You'd be welcome anytime. You're such a darn good person to talk to. I really appreciate it uh, more than you know. Well, I appreciate that very much. Thank you for saying that. But uh, moreover, I appreciate you. Um, you're just fantastic. So thank you so much for your time tonight. I'm already looking forward to uh, when the next time is in between now and then. I hope you'll stay safe and I wish you good health and uh, happy holidays and look forward to the next time. And the same to you. And I look forward to it too, Chris. Thank you. Thank thank you, Mr. Wright. Take care, my friend. That's the great Ben Wright, folks. And it just never, ever gets any better than that. to get the opportunity to, you know, pick his brain and, and think about more of the stories and the things that he's covered, 
uh, and to have his wisdom uh, shared is uh, is just something you can't put words to. Um, his contribution to the game of golf and to broadcasting are immeasurable. Uh, I, I, I say this sincerely, folks. When I go back and rewatch the broadcast and listen to his calls and, and just sort of close my eyes and let him draw what is happening, I don't even look at the video a lot of times. I just want to close my eyes and sort of soak in what he is painting for all of us and what he painted for us for, like I say, for 30 years on golf tournaments. It's outstanding. Um, you know, he, he doesn't talk when he's not supposed to talk and he, he paints the idea of what is about to take place and it's described so eloquently. I mean, I mean, look, just, just the two that, that I mentioned, right? You go back to 75, that'll be evil music ringing in the bear's ears. You know what just happened. You know, Tom Weisskopf just made that putt and you can see, you know, he kind of pans over to 16, Nicholas looking over his shoulder and then essentially saying to himself, okay, now I'm going to go do this, right? And Nicholas makes the putt on 16 and then goes on to win. And then, you know, the yes, sir thing, I mean, for crying out loud, I mean, I have to believe Fern Lundquist had that in the back of his mind because Ben Wright said it a few holes ago. So that was the right thing to say. Not only was it the right thing to say when Nicholas makes the eagle on 15, it was the right thing to say on 17. Now, I mean, everybody gives Vern Lundquist the credit for it. And unfortunately, they don't, they don't remember that Ben Wright did it 20 minutes ago and, and made, that, made that staple uh, a part of uh, the 86 Masters. So um, uh, just I, I can't tell you how much Mr. Wright means to me. Uh, he has made a difference in my life, made a difference in this show. And what we've been able to do every single time he has been a part of it. So I can't thank him enough uh, for his contributions over the years. And I'm absolutely looking forward to the next time I am blessed enough to have him as part of the show. All right, my friends, it is time to, for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks go out to you, Tom Patrick, John Patrick, and Mr. Ben Wright for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net. On there, you'll be able to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And we're coming down to it, folks. Only a couple of more episodes uh, to go. So uh, we've got next week and then the week after. And then that's, uh, that's going to be a wrap for this season. So really looking forward to the next couple of weeks. And uh, I can't thank you enough for letting us continue to be a part of your golfing uh, content. You can find this show as a podcast. We are all over the net, folks. So if you've got a favorite podcasting site, we're likely on it. We're on podcast.co, and that's .co. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pod, uh, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm, Radio.com. So we're all over the place. So, and you can even, uh, you can find us. You can ask Alexa for us, and she's going to find it, find uh, the show for you as well. So, folks, as always, I can't thank you enough for being here. Until next week, hit them straight, my friend.